Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. The deacons reminded me that they will be uh, communicating by email uh, about the needs for these evacuees, so please kind of make that a habit over the afternoon and evening and in the morning to check your email regularly so we can all be on the same page as we try to serve these folks. All right, hopefully you got the emails this week talking about the passage and maybe had a chance to read over those, pray about that. And I'm going to start by just reading the passage and actually we won't get back to the passage for a while, so don't panic. I haven't forgotten about that, but just know that that'll, that'll be coming toward the end um, of the sermon. All right, so this is Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to read a big chunk of Scripture. Um, and in God's providence, the first part is Jesus calming the storm. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. One day, he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, would you 
be in our midst? Would you be at work? Would you speak through me, Father? Pray that you would receive glory both now and forevermore. Amen. So I have this um, awesome privilege of hunting a piece of property that some of our, our members own. And if you're new to this area, and especially this year, I don't know what has happened, we have banana spiders. Um, and I've seen a couple of you post some awesome banana spider pictures on Facebook. Don't do that anymore. Okay? Um, and they're ginormous, and they build huge webs, and they're hideous, and they're everywhere. On this hunting property, I mean, every, between two trees, everywhere you go. Yesterday, I drove out there, I actually saw them on the, in the power lines, like between the power lines, they had built webs, and they're hanging, they're, they're awful. But the fun part about the banana spiders is when you pack your truck and go to your hunting property, and you have all three of your children, nine, six, and four, you can get really close to these banana spiders, right? I mean, you can, like, drive through the webs. And so a couple weeks ago, that's exactly what we did, is we're going to check my camera. We're going through these webs. Well, we would hit the web, and, like, the spider would end up on the truck, and the kids would just go completely insane. I mean, they would just scream bloody murder. I mean... There's one, and they, you know, they get on the antenna, and it creepy crawls down the antenna and across the hood of the truck, and the entire time that that's taking place, they're screaming as loud as they can. And I mean, if you've been in a truck with three screaming kids, it's not the most pleasurable experience. Um, but it was funny, so we, we drove around. Every time we'd hit a new web, new spider, more screams. My ears were bleeding at the end of the day. But it was funny because my kids are weird. Um, at the end of the day, I said, what was, your, what was your favorite part of the day? And they were like, well, we went through all those banana spiders, um, which was not my favorite part because now I can't hear. But there, there was some real fear there inside the cab of that truck. Even though we were safe, there was real fear. And, and that's what's going on in these, these verses that we just read in Luke. The Greek word that's used in these verses, in verse 25, 35, and 37, is a word, phabeo. And we get the word phobia from that, as in arachnophobia, okay? Which apparently all the Cummins children have. Um, it's the fear that we have of, of hurricanes. It's the fear we have of the unknown. And if you cross-reference Luke's recording of this event and Matthew and Mark, they also communicate the fear, the disciples' fear, the townspeople's fear. Mark even writes that the disciples were gripped with great fear. Luke says the townspeople were seized with fear. And that's pretty normal, I think. Bad storms, demon possession, it's pretty normal to fear those things. But what's odd about this passage, if you go back and look, the fear comes when everything is okay. If you go back and look, it's after the storm is calmed that the disciples are afraid. It is after the demons have been cast out into the pigs and the pigs run off the cliff and into the lake that the townspeople are afraid. And the question then is, what is it that everybody's so afraid of 
if all the trouble has kind of been dealt with? And that's kind of what we're going to deal with today. And so we're going to ponder that question. So, so three points, because if you don't have three points, that's how you get fired as a preacher. All right, so the object of fear, that's the first one. The second one, the root of fear. And then the third is the antithesis of fear. You're getting your money's worth today because I just used the word antithesis, all right? But we're going to spend some time talking about fear. And then in the third point, we'll kind of get to the, to the meat of the passage. Because I think to really understand what's going on, you really got to understand the biblical meaning of this word fabeo, this fear, afraid. But let's start with this object of fear, okay? Fear, fear is a pretty interesting emotion. It always has something that it kind of attaches itself to, that it's its focus, okay? Fear is never alone in a sense. It's like love. There's always an object that it's, that it's zeroed in on, that it latches itself to. For my kids, banana spiders, okay? That was the object of their fear. When that, those things hit the antenna and creepy crawlied across the hood of the car, you know, and they're all in the front seat latched on, and we're watching this ugly critter go across the hood, and they're screaming. That's the object of their fear. They're terrified of those spiders, but fear always is attached to something. For you, it may not be banana spiders. For you, maybe it could be cancer or dying. It could be uh, the loss of your job or what are you going to do when you retire. And fear attaches itself to so many different things. It could be the loss of, of control of a situation, maybe in your marriage or with your children or at work. But fear always has an object on which it focuses. And we don't think much fear. And I think part of that is we, because deep down, and I don't even care if you're a super tough guy, you're scared of something. And we just acknowledge that somewhat as just human nature. We're just all scared of something. But I don't think God sees fear that way. I think biblically, if you look at the scriptures, God hates fear. He's not okay with fear. Now, again, this is not reverent fear. The Bible talks about, like at the beginning of Proverbs, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's not the fear we're talking about. That is a reverent, respectful submission to the Lord. What we're talking about is fright, terror, being scared of something. Okay? Listen, listen to these commands from the Lord throughout Scripture to not fear, to not be afraid. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Right after Mark gives his account of the healing of the demonic man, he also gives an account of the healing of Jairus' daughter. And Jesus is recorded as saying, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Christ gives some commands in Luke 12 about not being anxious. And as he's teaching on worry and anxiety, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. They were all worried about clothes and, and food and those sort of things. And God says, Don't worry about that. You get everything. Do not worry. Don't be afraid. When Christ is crucified and he's resurrected and he appears to his disciples, the first words out of his mouth, do not be afraid. Luke 5, when Christ calls Peter to discipleship, he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And then when Jesus is getting ready for the crucifixion in John 14, 
And he talks about the Holy Spirit coming. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Over and over and over, God commands us, do not fear, do not be afraid. And then we come to the words of Paul. I think this is an important verse for us to think about today. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of love and of power and self-control. That a spirit of fear is not from the Lord. God hates fright. He hates terror. He hates fear. The question is why? Why is it that God hates fear and afraidness and terror? And that's our second point. The root of fear. I think God hates those things. And I use, that's a strong word, and I know, and that's... I'm using it on purpose. Because fear at its root is really the worst kind of sin. Fear at its root is really the breaking of the very first commandment. That you shall have no other gods before me. That object that your fear attaches itself to, whatever that fear may be, elevates itself. It dethrones God. It takes Him off the throne, His place of of, of preeminence, his, his place of superiority, and it moves him off that throne, and it puts that thing that you fear in God's place. For example, if you fear a storm, and I, I wrote this before we knew Irma was maybe headed our way exactly. And, that, and look, there, there's some good, I mean, God gave us that sense to... to self-preservation and those sort of things, okay? So I'm not getting on to you for evacuating or getting in the basement, those sort of things, okay? But if the storm begins to dictate all your decisions, every time a, a, a cloud comes overhead, if that keeps you up at night, if you're anxious, if you worry about that, if that's the thing that you build your life around is to dodge every storm that comes your way, that, that has become the thing that you're submissive to. Does that make sense? And so the things that we fear, if it's financial insecurity, I, I don't know what I'm going to do when I retire. And so you, you work over and over and over and you work long hours and you strive and you, because you're so, your decisions become based on that fear, that anxiety. That becomes the thing that you live for, you work for, you submit yourself to, you bow down. It becomes what you worship. And God never intended us to worship anything in creation. He always intended us to worship Him, the Creator. And so that object of fear dethrones God. And at the root, whatever we're focused on, whatever we're fearing, becomes our little G God. Our, what we bow down to falsely. God's a jealous God. And he wants nothing but himself to rule us because he knows that's what's best for us. So that's the kind of fear we have going on in these verses. That we've attached ourselves to this object of fear, storms, demons. And those things have trumped God's rule in the disciples' lives and the townspeople's lives. So let's, let's go back and look at this passage. Um, because it's interesting that 
in many accounts, the disciples are absolutely afraid of the storm. Okay? But in Luke's account, the fear comes after the storm has been calmed and after the demon has been cast out. And here, I think, is the issue. And this is point three. The antithesis of fear. The townspeople and the disciples, in, in, in different kind of ways, lack the antithesis of fear. Okay? Antithesis is just a super fancy word for the opposite of. And that is faith. Faith and fear are opposites. They cannot coexist with one another. Because remember, Jesus says, where's your faith? In other words, you've, you've replaced your faith with fear. Where'd it go? And Scripture's not entirely clear of exactly why the disciples, after everything is calm, are afraid. So we have to kind of make some, some inference there. Here's what I think happened with the disciples. I think during that storm, the disciples were exposed. They saw their weakness. They saw their lack of faith as evident. It was out there on the table for others to see. They were powerless against this storm. Things were out of their control, and they couldn't do anything about it. Maybe, maybe they were afraid they didn't, they didn't have what it takes. Maybe they thought, well, this lack of faith that I've shown during this storm, maybe Jesus is going to kind of kick us off the team and get some new disciples because we're not up to the challenge. Here's what I think their greatest fear was. I think their greatest fear was that they had grossly underestimated Christ. That they thought they knew the guy that they were following, who called them to discipleship. They thought they knew that guy. And they get in this boat, and the storms come, and he stands up and he says, waves cease. And they obey. Because at the end of that passage, they're saying, who is this guy? We thought we knew this guy. We'd pledged our allegiance to him. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. They had this encounter with the real Jesus. And their sin is exposed. That happens so many other times in Scripture. Think back to Job. When Job sees God and his power and majesty displayed, here's what Job says. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah, same kind of experience. Remember, he has the vision of the throne. He sees God sitting on the throne. And he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's this seeing the real God by Job. Seeing the real God by Isaiah. And the first thing they say is, we've been found out. Relative to this God, relative to this Jesus, we are rotten sinners. We are weak. We are faithless. We are broken. It's interesting to me when... Jesus calls Peter, Peter falls, he calls him to discipleship. Peter just falls to the ground. I mean, it's odd, but it's this posture of submission. 
this posture of I can't go on, this posture of he's the king and I'm the servant. Paul did the same thing, remember, on the road to Damascus. When he met Jesus, he fell to the ground. It's amazing to me, Luke writes that the disciples were afraid, fabeo. But out of their fear, the next phrase says, and they marveled. That was their response to their fear. They marveled, they worshipped, they said, who is this? This is amazing, look at this guy. We thought we knew him, he is far greater than we could ever hope or imagine. And so they stood in awe of Jesus. I think they were exposed by that storm. They see the real Jesus and they're fearful about their sin and fearful about their disappointment. But they go to the only place they know that that can be dealt with. They don't run away. They don't withdraw and try to fix it themselves. They go to Jesus and they marvel at him and they worship and they take their sin and their anxiety and their weakness and they lay it at his feet. John, the apostle, who was in the boat with Jesus during this account that Luke writes about, writes in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love casts out fear. Now, I have no idea what John was thinking about when he wrote that line. But somewhere in the back of his mind had to be this moment, right? I mean, it had to be this moment of, I'm scared to death about this storm, and Jesus stands up and says, no more storm." And it's gone. At the word of Christ, it obeys. Perfect love casts out fear. John, who was just scared, marveled at Jesus in this passage in Luke, and then later writes, perfect love. That's what gets rid of fear. Jesus casts out fear. He is the perfect love. And so these disciples who were in a moment enslaved to this storm are now in awe of the master of the storm. They've gone from being afraid of this storm to to worshiping Jesus. They tore down their false god of safety and security and easy living. And they fell at Jesus' feet. It's amazing. They feared this created thing and the creator is asleep in the boat. That's what fear does, right? I mean, fear entangles our souls with temporal things. It's what fear does. It's what Satan intends for it to do. When we fear things, it, it wraps us up in earthly stuff. It takes our eyes off the real Jesus. We forget who's in the boat with us. Think about this. When you fear cancer... You forget God's the great physician. When you fear death, you forget that it's God who's numbered your days. When we fear financial loss, we forget that the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it is His. They, the disciples, they feared that storm and they forgot that in the boat, asleep, Right there with them was Jesus. And by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Their fear took their eyes off of that Jesus. The God who said light and there was light, who spoke it into existence. There was nothing for him to stand up and say, waves, that's enough. And because the disciples' fear had them so gripped, their eyes were off of the Lord and on that object of their fear. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, now they were more afraid of the one who had stood the storm than they had been of the storm itself. Many of them had encountered dangerous storms, but none had encountered such supernatural power as Jesus had displayed here. It's amazing. The townspeople, the same thing, right? Supernatural power of Jesus. Here's this man who's had these demons, who's been bound and guarded and shackles on his feet, and he's broken those bonds, and he's run away, and he's lived in the tombs, and he's been unclothed his whole life. And supernatural Jesus just walks in and says, Demons, no more. And just like that, just as quickly as peace came to, the, to those waters of the Sea of Galilee, peace came to this man's heart and soul and life. That's what Jesus does. He brings peace. That doesn't mean everything around you is always going to work out perfectly, that all the pieces are going to fit together, that there will be no storms, there will be no Irma. But it does mean on the inside you can trust, you can rest. Your faith can be sure because there is a sure anchor for your soul, and it is Christ. And so he heals this demon-possessed man, But the townspeople's response is way different than the disciples. The disciples marveled when they saw the real Jesus on display. Look at what the townspeople did. Look at verse 37 in Luke 8. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. It's just the saddest sentence to me. That you see the real Jesus, you see him on display, and they say, go away. We don't need you here. And again, we don't, we're not given any insight as to why they felt like they needed to reject Jesus. Maybe they were happy with their lives in town. Maybe they didn't want a, Jesus to disturb their peace of mind or the happy little life they had go, going for them. Maybe they just didn't want to get out of their routine because that's what Jesus does. You know, he kind of disturbs you into action and compassion and faithfulness and service and those sort of things. And maybe they didn't want that. But they saw Jesus and rejected him, said no. They rejected the creator in favor of the created, rejected the calmer of the storm for the storm. They just didn't see Jesus like the disciples did or the demoniac did or like Job did or Isaiah, Peter, Paul. And it's sad. It breaks my heart that they saw this and said, we don't want you here. I'm not an old man, but I'm old enough to know that there's a lot of things in the world 
that are scary. And I know that in a room like this, uh, some of you have some real scary things going on. Things that keep you up at night, that you worry about, that, that you bottle up inside because you don't want anybody else to know how afraid you really are. And it eats away at you. And maybe it's a hurricane, maybe it's evil dictators, maybe it's satanic ideology, maybe it's death, on and on and on. But also know this, I know that the world's only full of two kinds of people, disciples and townspeople. Who see Jesus and they either marvel or they say no. Not here, not now. Don't mess up my happy routine. Don't mess up my life. See, faith and fear, they can't coexist. One's got to rule your heart. There's one throne, one king. Faith or fear. Jesus or you. So maybe you're here, you're a disciple of Christ. You're saved, your faith is in him. But some kind of fear really has a hold on you. And it's become your God and you have been bowing to it for weeks or months or years. It dictates your decisions. It keeps you up. Maybe it's even driven you to cover up your fear with some kind of vice. Can I just encourage you to ask yourself the question that Jesus asked the disciples? Where's your faith? Is it in the created or the creator? calmer of the storm or in the storm itself but maybe you're here and you're a townsperson you've heard about Jesus you've read about Jesus people have told you about Jesus and you just said not here not now got this happy life going don't want to rock the boat and you've just rejected him I plead with you Come to Jesus with your questions, with your doubts, with your anxieties, with your fears. Bring your confusion to Him, whatever it is that's caused you to reject Him and hold Him at arm's length and say, No, not here, Jesus. Just let me do my thing. Just let me live my life. Yes, you're great and awesome, but we just don't need you here. Would you come and see the real Jesus? Because whether you're a disciple or you're a townsperson, the only hope for peace is the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, bring peace to our souls. Take away our fear. Rule our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.